Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on the Twitters at Braden Gall. And I'm Adam Vingan on Twitter at Adam Vingan. We have a large show for you guys today. A lot of stuff to discuss, way more than your average mid-July hockey show would ever normally have. But of course, Ryan Ellis has been traded for Cody Glass and Philip Myers. We will have an extended conversation about Ryan Ellis, his role. Was it the right move? Was it the right strategy for David Poyle? We will introduce you to Cody Glass and Philip Myers. Who exactly are they? What can fans expect from those two pieces? Of course, we had an expansion draft as well. And Callie Yarncroke, it has been reported, will be taken by the Seattle Kraken. He is now going to be a member of the Kraken. So we'll get to that strategy as well as Colton Sissons, Ryan Johansson, Matt Duchesne, and a host of other players were left unprotected by David Poyle. Not really to that much surprise, but we'll get to some of that uh, as well. And we had some big news for a prospect in the NHL, in the National Predators organization. Luke Prokop came out as gay. The first, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong here, Adam, but the first ever NHL contract, right? Active NHL contract to uh, come out. And I think uh, congratulations. The outpouring has been amazing. Uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on as well. Did I get all that correct? I believe what you were trying to say is that Luke Prokop is believed to be the first active player under NHL contract to come out as gay. I feel like that is what I said, but maybe you I said did. something about con- you, you did. You missed a couple I, of I messed words it up in your it. explanation. All right. Well, I'm just trying to clean it up. <laughs> Thank you. I, I do always need an editor from time to time. There's no question about that. Um, however, before we do any of that on the show, the gold standard is brought to you by Adam who Jaspers. That's right. Jaspers. That was a very cordial Jaspers. Jaspers is also a very cordial place. I would say it's a very cordial place. Constantly evolving, free parking, great menu, all kinds of great food, all kinds of great drinks, boozy popsicles. We talked about it last week on the show. A great place to go watch the, sport, the, the game, whatever game you're watching this summer, whether it's a soccer match or the Olympics or whatever. Um, go check it out. Jaspers on West End. It's a great place to go. They got a great happy hour. The menu's constantly changing. They're adding stuff to the, the drink menu all the time. Great specials. It's it's just a good place to go, man. You frequent there and all the time. It's a, a wonderful place to go. And now that the expansion draft is mercifully over, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good place to sit back and relax with a cocktail and think about all the good times you had with Callie Yonkroak and Ryan <laughs> Ellis, Victor Arvidsson. Pecorine. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> there, there's a lot to there's a lot to reminisce about, and sometimes it's just great to go to a place where everybody knows your name. <laughs> Jaspers, go to Jaspers. All right, Adam, let's get into the nitty gritty of the Ryan Ellis trade that happened, of course, over the weekend on Saturday. I, I, you know, you and I have talked a lot, maybe in varying degrees of intensity about Ryan Ellis being traded, but it always made sense on this show. And I brought it up multiple times. I never expected it to actually happen, but we definitely talked about it happening and, and the reasons it made sense. We'll get into some of those reasons here in just a minute, but I I just want to start with sort of, you see the news on Saturday. I'm I'm looking, I'm scrolling through the, the Twitters and I see the news and I start getting text messages from buddies and I just start thinking like I kind of looked at my wife and I was just like, I, I honestly can't believe that Ryan Ellis has been traded like this is weird. And on top of the last couple of weeks, 
I mean, I could argue that my three favorite players, hockey players on the ice uh, of this sort of Predators era is Pecorine, Victor Arvidsson, and Ryan Ellis. I I could easily make that case. And all three of them are now gone. Pekka retiring, Arvidsson and Ellis now traded. Uh, have we have we gone past soft reset <laughs> for <laughs> for the core, or is this still in soft reset territory? Because I think it's going to be jarring for people to not see those three faces on the ice when camp opens up. Oh, for sure. And when I caught wind of the news Saturday, I was surprised. I'm often hesitant to admit that because it's my job to be on top of everything Predators related, but everything that I had heard, you know, over the course of the past several months was that it was going to take something seismic for the Predators to actually trade Ryan Ellis. Not necessarily in terms of what they would get in return, but if they really felt that they needed a significant shakeup, that might be what pushes David Poyle to make such a move. And it brought me back to the day that Ryan Ellis signed his eight-year, $50 million contract, which was August 14th, 2018. And a couple of days later, the Predators held their press conference to announce the announced the deal. Well, they are they had already announced it, but to talk about the trade. And David Poyle, you could tell that he was beaming on the inside. I feel like you could tell because he loves Ryan Ellis. I have to imagine that when you when you play a significant role in somebody's development, that you, you know, you have a certain attachment to them, of course. You know, Ryan Ellis is up there for David Poyle in terms of his importance to the organization, the respect that he has earned throughout his NHL career. And I have the quote in front of me now. David said on that day, quote, in this day and age, it's not often that a player gets a chance to maybe play his whole career in one city. I will do everything. And I know Ryan will do everything to try to make that happen. Spoiler, Poyle did not make that happen. (laughs) And I asked him about that, that, that specific quote. Um, on Saturday as David was discussing the trade because I, I knew it had to be hard for him to do that. But as we have discussed at length since we began doing this podcast, the, the Predators core group has survived multiple postseason disappointments. Yeah. And an argument could absolutely be made that they survived one or two too many postseason disappointments. So the trade of Victor Arvidsson was somewhat expected. I don't think any of us were actually surprised by that. Agreed. Um, Agreed. But this one, I think, ranks as a surprise. You know, Ryan Ellis, and we've had this conversation as well, Ryan Ellis was, I think, the most polarizing player among the Predators fan base. Really? I do, yes. Fascinating. I, 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 he I he is... And maybe this is to your point. When he signed the contract, it's the only time in in my entire career, life as a Preds fan, that I considered purchasing a jersey because I was like, "Oh, right, exactly." But Ellis has always been my favorite. Like, not even Ellis is my favorite player. Just as a as a as the little twelve year old hockey fan in me, Ryan Ellis has been my favorite player. And and I don't believe in buying jerseys with other grown men's names on them, but. If I was going to do it, Ellis was always going to be the one. And I, I didn't, of course, because I'm a grown man. But I, I think, to your point, d- doesn't that that extreme level of, 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 of love for him and appreciation for him 
is that not is that what you're talking about? Is that there's people that just like like David Boyle just have an extreme appreciation for Ryan Ellis, and, I, other, I, and other people are like, why are we paying this small guy who gets hurt all the time a bunch of money? Is that is that what drives that? You think? I just feel like in conversations I've had with fans and dialogue I've seen with fans, either in the comments section on the Athletic or on Twitter, there is no middle ground with Ryan Ellis. You either love Ryan Ellis or you dislike Ryan Ellis. How, how can that be a thing? How can, how can dis- people how can dislike, dislike Ryan Ellis? How can you dislike him? Yeah. The worst possible thing to happen to Ryan Ellis <laughs> in recent memory as a member of the Nashville Predators is that one play in the Dallas playoff series in 2019 when Jamie Benn swatted him away yeah. as they after a loose puck heading yeah. towards the Predators' defensive zone. If you talk to somebody who dislikes Ryan Ellis, that will come up within the first 30 seconds of conversation. <laughs> I, on the other hand, I liked Ryan Ellis as a player. I think he is an excellent two-way defenseman. He is an analytic, analytics darling, which is another thing that I think people get yeah. wrapped up in when it comes to talking about Ryan Ellis because his underlying numbers are great. But the eye test doesn't always back that up. When you look at Ryan Ellis, he's undersized for a, for a defenseman in the NHL. He has a lengthy injury history. Um, although you can't fault him for being concussed by Corey Perry. Well, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't Ryan's fault. Yeah, we'll get into the by, we'll by get into the I've, I've got the numbers on that. We'll get into that in just a second. Okay. So to me, when the trade was announced, the reaction to it was so the feelings were either I can't believe they did this or <laughs> thank God they did this. It's so weird because I'm actually then in the middle because like as a person, as an individual fan of the team, I'm like, I can't really believe they traded him. I I really loved him as a player. I appreciated his leadership. I can ask you this in a second, but I think he would have been captain if he had not gotten his knee injury in in the Stanley Cup final. And I don't know if that changes the decision. Maybe it doesn't today for David Poyle. But like, I also understand the move. Like I see $37.5 million left on the contract for an injury prone short defenseman who hasn't has missed a lot of time in the last four years. Like I, I, I actually am in the middle on that. Like I, I see, like I really appreciate and, and respect all the things he's meant to this organization and this locker room. And also I see why David Poyle made the move. It, 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 that put me in the minority, I guess. Yeah. I think when you look at the length of the contract, when you consider how old Ryan is, he's 30. When you think about the injury history, there are a lot of red flags, but the Flyers have long coveted Ryan Ellis. They've been linked uh, to Ryan Ellis for some time because they've needed a top pairing caliber right-handed defenseman. Uh, but Ryan Ellis is going to be a first pairing defenseman on the Philadelphia Flyers, probably with Ivan Provorov. I understand why the Flyers did it. Um, in a flat cap world, knowing that you have a defenseman under contract for a reasonable cap hit for the next several years, you know, that, that security, that cost certainty yeah. is big. And I talked to my colleague who covers the Flyers for the Athletic, Charlie O'Connor, um, and he said that they were, you know, the Flyers were heavily in the 
Seth Jones sweepstakes because it's been reported widely that Seth Jones will probably be traded this summer. Uh, but Seth Jones has one year remaining on his contract. And Charlie told me that the Flyers were skeptical that Jones would have given them a long-term commitment. Yeah. So now you have a high quality right-handed top pairing defenseman under contract for what, five more years. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's the, the Flyers in for all intents and purposes, you know, were the winners of this three team trade. You know, Ryan Ellis is by far the best asset in the entire trade. Like it's not, it's so not, let's recap the trade because not even close. okay. So let, let, let me, let me lay it out. Cause there's six years, six and a quarter left on Ryan Ellis's deal. He's 30 years old right now. He will be this, this will take him through his age 35 season. I think we can all assume that the first three years of that deal are probably pretty good for the flyers with large questions for the next three. And that those were the issues for David Poyle. Cody Glass, a 6'3", 205-pound, 22-year-old Canadian who was the sixth overall pick in the 2017 NHL draft, comes from Vegas to Nashville. Phil Myers, who has played for the Flyers, 94 of of the team's games over the last two seasons, 125 games total. He's played 94 of them. He averaged 19 minutes a game last year. He's 6'5", 24 years old. Uh, undrafted, but but has been playing lots of minutes for the Flyers as a defenseman. Those are the two pieces they end up with. Technically, Nolan Patrick like sort of came through Nashville and ended up in Vegas. Yeah, so the official trade, the official trade was Philip Myers and Nolan Patrick to the Predators for Ryan Ellis, and then Nolan Patrick from the Predators to the Golden Knights for Cody Glass. Right. Right. So, and, and glass, we can get, we can get into those two. I, I, I do want to spend some time on those two in just a minute, but um, I, I want to, let's, let, let's stick with the injury stuff here. Cause I wanted to point this out. You, you mentioned the moment people think about if you're anti Ellis being the, the Ben uh, when he just got tossed around and it's pro- there's probably more than one of those. I believe that was game five of the 2019 playoffs. And, and unfortunately for Ellis, there's probably a couple other other moments like that throughout his the last three or four years where you could he got just, bullied a couple times in the, right. in the series against Carolina and Winnipeg, frankly. Um, and Winnipeg, yeah. So here's here's the moment though that stands out to me the, the the most memorable moment for me as a pro Ryan Ellis guy who also understands the trade. I, I he played ten minutes in Game Five against Pittsburgh in the Stanley Cup Final on the road. I don't know how many people expected him to play in Game Six. And he played. I remember that. Yes, he, he. I remember him coming out in Mint, and he was named, you know, at Bridgestone. He stood, you know, in the starting lineup. He was out there in the starting lineup, and I remember the response that Bridgestone gave him when he was out there, announced as a starter. I was standing in the suite, like looking around at people, going, "Like, I can't believe this that he's out there. I, I honestly can't believe he's out there because of the knee injury, which we learned later, of course, kept him out for 38 games the following year." And that's the moment I remember, because to me, that embodies Ryan Ellis. He played 24 minutes, over 24 minutes that night in game six, when his team needed him the most in game six of the Stanley Cup final on a busted up knee. And that's the one that that's that's the kind of Ryan Ellis that I see. And I it doesn't mean that I don't look at his career and I go, all right, the next year, you know, Fisher retires and they name Yossi the captain. Could Ellis have been the captain in that situation if he was healthy? Maybe he missed 38 games. That following first season. thirty-eight games of the, the first season. thirty games. Now the other forty-four, he was spectacular. <laughs> like let's be honest, he was that was one of his best seasons ever. Um, he played all eighty-two games in two thousand nineteen. He missed twenty out of sixty-nine, so about a third of the season the following year in twenty twenty, the the pandemic shortened year. 
and he missed 21 games this year. And the pandemic shortened year was because of the concussion from Corey Perry. But again, how many times can you have these things happen to you and it not be because like exactly like Arvidsson, you are aging into a period of time where your body, your size, your style of play is, is becoming a diminishing asset and you have too much money left on your contract and David Poyle is trying to shake up the core. That's why it kind of makes sense to me um, to some degree. He missed about 30% of his games since the Stanley Cup. Ryan Ellis, even with a full season of all 82 games, he has missed about 30% of, of the Predators games since the Stanley Cup and since that knee injury. So, you know, that's sort of laying out the, the landscape uh, of the situation of, of why it took place. Do you think he would have been named captain if he had not been injured? It's, it's hard to say. I remember talking to Peter Laviolette the day that the Predators announced that Roman Yossi was going to replace Mike Fisher as captain because the Predators created a title for Ryan Ellis, associate captain. Peter told me that basically it came down to the two of them and he called each of them into his office one at a time. I believe the question was, if you're not going to be captain, who would you want to be captain? <laughs> and Roman Yossi said Ryan Ellis and Ryan Ellis said Roman Yossi. You know, it, it's clear that the Predators, as I said, have had the absolute utmost respect for everything that Ryan Ellis did. And you could tell as David Poyle was addressing the trade on Saturday evening, that it was kind of hard for him to, to talk about how much Ellis has meant to the organization. Like I said, there are plenty of people in Nashville, fans of the Predators who are, who are sad because they, they appreciated everything that Ryan Ellis did on the ice. I mean, remember how great he was in that 2017 playoff run basically playing on one leg. And before he was injured in the winter classic against, I mean, by Corey Perry, he had, was having a fabulous first half of the season. His analytics were among the best in the league. You know, there was definitely some hipster Norris trophy buzz for Ryan Ellis. You know, there's always that player or two for every award that, you know, the cool kids like because their analytics <laughs> are great. You know, Ryan Ellis was that guy. And I, I thought that Ryan Ellis, if he would have played the entire 1920 season the way he had if, and not been injured, yeah, yeah. I think he would have picked up a lot of Norris Trophy buzz. I don't think he would have been a finalist, but I think he would have been, you know, a top five, top seven, fi you know, candidate. Yeah, which, which the voting just, came out. just makes you even more uh, angry at Corey Perry. Uh, he Listen, when he's healthy, the, se the season that, that they went on the cup run since that season, he's been above 23 minutes per game every single year. So every time he's on the ice, he's, he's a 23 minutes per game guy, whether you like him or not, whether you think he's undersized or injury prone, whatever, when he's out there, he's productive generally. And, and he's a 23 minute. How about this? 30. He had 32 points in 44 games plus 26 following the cup run. That's the year he, he had the injury, missed the first 38 games, then came back. And then to your point, before getting injured with Corey Perry, 38 points in 49 games. Once Shea Weber was departed, he was your blue line rocket on the power play. Like he's the guy with the big blast on the power play. And if you look at the career numbers, 10th all time in games played 562, ninth all time in assists at 195, ninth all time, one point behind Ryan Johansson uh, with 270 points in his career. Number one all time with a bullet miles ahead of the majority of the, every single player who's ever played in a Predators uniform at plus 114 
for his career. Matias Ekholm is plus 90, and then you got to go all the way down to Craig Smith at plus 67. So basically, Ryan Ellis, from a plus-minus standpoint, is basically double every other player not named Ekholm in the entire history of the organization. Of course, we, we talked about his, his special teams play and, and the lead. Uh, to me, it's about the leadership. It's about Arvidsson, Pekka, and Ellis and the leadership that those three guys brought to this locker room for the better part. And, and Ellis's case, 10 years. I don't think people realize he played 10 seasons in Nashville. It's It's been a long road for Ryan Ellis in Nashville. And I think this is the best way to sum things up when you talk about the, when you talk about the polarization, I guess you could say, of Ryan Ellis. Ryan Ellis is listed, I believe, at 5'10", 180 pounds. If Ryan Ellis was six foot four and 220 pounds, there'd be no issues. I mean, I honestly think it, for a lot of people, it comes no, down agree. to that. I, I agree. And I, I'll, I'll, I will never forget the look on his face. And this is a, the, the case for a lot of hockey players at the end of a Stanley Cup run, win or lose. But being in, going into the locker room and talking with Ryan Ellis, this was like the next day, sort of the exit interviews, right? After the season was over. And I remember sitting there talking to Ryan Ellis for a few minutes, just about the the, the toll it had taken. And, and we, we didn't have all the information about the injury at the time, but like his face looked like his eyeballs were like sunk into his head. <laughs> like he was pale. And I'm not saying this is because Ryan Ellis, of, of this is what a Stanley cup run does to your body. Right. And if you're that size, same as Arvidsson, it is visible how, how, demolished and how fatigued your body is like you could walk up to him and, and be like dude you don't look like you've slept in a month <laughs> you, you know what i mean and I, I don't think it's a ryan ellis problem although he's a little smaller i i think it's just a stanley cup thing it's it's how you it's how you look and feel at the end of a run like that and when you're six four when you're ryan johansson your body can handle it right so um all right Let's look at Cody Glass and Phil Myers. What what are these pieces coming back? I've mentioned some of the stats on these guys. Cody Glass has a pretty high pedigree. By and large, this is a guy with some offensive skill, doesn't mind the, the, the hitting, 6'3", doesn't mind playing in the offensive zone. Obviously, you get drafted sixth overall for a reason. I think skating is the big concern for him. That sort of kept him from finding a spot in the Vegas lineup, a team that likes to play very fast, so that could be part of it. On, on paper, there's upside here. I don't think he's a top-line player ever. Uh, but he could be a second line player, maybe. But he does feel like, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, Adam, but the, the attributes and the stuff that he's got, it, it it feels like a John Hines player to me, if that makes if that makes sense. I don't think he's ever gonna be more than a second line winger, but there's there that that could be something that's very valuable moving forward. And I don't know, he he really looks like a John Hines type player, if that makes sense. Well, the Predators have, and we've talked about this a lot too. The Predators have never been bad enough or have rarely been bad enough to have the opportunity to pick in the top 10. And in this trade, they've acquired a forward who was taken with the number six pick in the 2017 draft. Cody Glass, I believe the first draft pick in Vegas Golden Knights history because he was the first pick in the 2017 draft, which was uh, before their first season in the NHL. Uh, Cody Glass, a big-time scorer in juniors for the Portland Winterhawks of the Western Hockey League. Uh, but he has not been able, uh, as you said, to stick in the Golden Knights lineup. Some of that is because of injury, but some of that is also because of performance. 22 points in 66 career games, 5 goals, 12 points in his first season, 4 goals, 10 points in his second season. Um, I talked to my colleague at The Athletic who covers the Golden Knights, Jesse Granger, 
who told me that Glass was moved around a lot in the lineup, um, never really had a, a specific role, um, which may have had something to do with his um, low production. You know, reclamation projects can be um, risky, but he is 22 years old. Um, so there is a lot ahead uh, for Cody Glass, presumably, not even in his prime, but he is, as you said, a bigger player, six foot three, 206 pounds. I think we saw this in the course over the course of the of the regular season uh, as John Hines's identity seemed to take hold. The players who play that hardworking 200 foot style uh, physical game rose to the top. And, you know, from what I know of Cody Glass, he can be that player. Phil Myers, the first thing that you know, notice about him, as, as especially in comparison uh, to Ryan Ellis, is that he's six foot five. He's six foot five, 210 pounds. To put that into perspective, Matthias Ekholm is six foot four and 215 pounds. So you're basically getting another Matthias Ekholm from a size standpoint. Myers, uh, from what I understand, had a pretty down year in his third season in the NHL um, as a member of the Philadelphia Flyers. But again, a young, a younger player, I believe 24. It would not surprise me if Myers became Ekholm's partner because he is right-handed, as I said. That would give you a big second pair, if you'd like to call it that, with a six foot four, 215 pound defenseman on the left side and a six foot five, 210 pound defenseman on the right side. So Myers obviously was was protected and, and we'll get to expansion stuff later. But do you view him? Because I have the same question about Cody Glass. If John Hines does his work and develops both of them, I think second line winger for Glass is probably his ceiling. And I think top four, like, do you think Myers is a top four defenseman right now? Or do you think, you know, the Carriers and Fabros and maybe even like, to me, this move of trading Ryan Ellis also has to show David Poyle's confidence in some of those other young players he's got, of which now Myers is in that group, right? So I, do you see him as a, a top four defenseman right now? I mean, I think he certainly has the potential. And one thing to note about the right side of the Predators' defense now, um, between Alex Carrier, Dante Fabro, and now Philip Myers, I mean, they're all incredibly young. Um, I believe Carrier is also 24. Fabro, I think, is 23. And Myers is 24. So you have two 24-year-olds and a 23-year-old on the right side of your defense. If you're talking about getting younger, you absolutely just did. I mean, think about the players that have exited the team so far this season. Arvidsson, uh, close to 30 years old. Ellis is 30 years old. Pecorine, 38 years old. Now you bring in Cody Glass, who's 22. Myers, who's 24. I mean, UC Saros will now be the, you know, he already was, but now clearly the undisputed number one goaltender, he's 26. So this team's average age has taken a, a, a hit, which is a good thing. Right, you know, the right. Predators have been among the oldest teams in the league now for a couple of years. Um, but when you consider perhaps Philip Tomasino making the team next year, Ellie Tolvanen in his early 20s, Tanner Janot is 24, uh, Matthew Olivier is in his mid-20s, I believe, Rem Pitlick's in his mid-20s. This so, team got a lot younger. Like, to me, Cody Glass, I, I, I want another Luke Cunning. <laughs> he <laughs> right? could be that. He has a higher pedigree, I think. So let, let's just trying to put the entire trade into perspective and, and, and sort of explain it in its sort of like basic form to people and including the implications moving forward, because now you have a glaring hole in your blue line without Ryan Ellis, 23 minutes a game, whether you, you know, again, the polarization of him aside, 
he, he was out there for 23 minutes on the top four every time he played, right? So is it fair to look at it this way if you're a Predators fan? That we're getting another Luke Cunning. We're getting a dependable, developable, if that's a word, defenseman, de- defenseman who's got top four upside but is guaranteed to be in your bottom pairing and one of the better bottom pairing defensemen maybe in the league. But you're I, also getting Matthias Ekholm on her under a three or four or five more years worth of contracts because of the movement of Ryan Ellis. Like you have not, not only do you have the cap space now to re-sign Matthias Ekholm, but you have a giant hole in your blue line, making sure you have to re-sign Matthias Ekholm. So if you look, is it fair to look at it like, all right, we got another, we, we went and tried to acquire another Luke Cunning. We got Phil Myers. And oh, by the way, we can now make re-signing Matias Ekholm a priority, and we've now added him to the future of our team. Is that a fair way to look at it? I mean, I think so. You know, the long the long view is that you you hope Philip Myers, you know, who certainly has the physical gifts, will become you know a fixture on the right side of the Predators' defense for years to come. Right now, you know, I think he probably tops out as a second pairing defenseman, which one could argue was what Ryan Ellis had been you know, even though he played a lot of time with, with Roman Yossi, you know, you hope that Cody Glass is similar to Luke Cunning. You know, Luke Cunning also had a, you know, a celebrated, you know, amateur career. First round in, pick. Yeah. In first round pick, you know, two, I was two things, two years at Wisconsin, you know, captain of a world junior team for the United States. You know, Luke has developed into, you know, I think what you saw from him in the second half of the season last year, you know, I think Luke has the potential to be a, a 20 goal player. I think you hope that Cody Glass perhaps has a high, a little bit of a higher ceiling uh, than Luke Cunning, but uh, you know we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I think Cody Glass will certainly be in the mix for a top six role next season. But uh, you know, one thing I think, as I mentioned before, that the Predators did absolutely accomplish over the past number of weeks. You know, I would be very curious to see their average age on July first, which was you know the day that they traded Victor Arvidsson, and then look at it now. With with Cody Glass and Philip Myers instead of Victor Robertson, yep. Ryan Ellis, Pecorino. Uh, I recommend going and reading the Athletics story. I think Adam, you tweeted this out, sort of grading all of the different moves. Not high marks necessarily for David Poyle on what he returned, but to me, it's a big statement of belief in John Hines' ability to develop guys like Glass and Myers. It's giving himself a much younger roster, as you pointed out, and with the two moves. That's over $10 million in cap space, $10.5 million in cap space for years to come now by moving Arvidsson and and Ellis. So I I think it sucks to see all those names go, but I think it makes some really shrewd, logical sense to get rid of diminishing assets as they are diminishing before they truly diminish. They're probably going to be a couple of good years for Arvidsson and Ellis in LA and in Philly that you're going to have to watch and you're just going to have to, you know, get used to the idea of those dudes doing good things for other teams. Deal with it. It's going to be weird, but the idea is, is that, you know, they've made a big shakeup at the, uh, to the core uh, and, and we'll see what it does. We'll see what glass and Myers can do in John Hines system. And you better, you better resign Matias Ekholm now. <laughs> I would like to, I would, do like, it. I would like to end this conversation with, by posing a question to you, because I do think it's been part of the conversation. So you talked about getting assets for, you know, diminishing returns before they become completely diminished. So Victor Arvidsson, a multi-time 30-goal scorer, was traded for a second and third round draft pick, a higher second round draft pick, to be fair, you know, in the top 50 because of where the Kings finished the season. Ryan Ellis, 
you know, a legitimate top pairing defenseman went for Philip Myers, a solid but unspectacular so far in his career defenseman, and Cody Glass, a lottery pick that has not panned out so far. It's easy to go back and say, well, the Predators should have traded Victor Robertson at this point, or or they should have traded Ryan Ellis three years ago. Or at the deadline. (laughs) Or at, well, for you, they weren't going to, like, it, it's hard to trade players with significant term at the deadline. I know. You know, I understand what you're saying though. So, I mean, that's the other thing though, is like, how, like, how do you think Predators fans should feel? Because it's interesting because I think a, a lot of fans have been clamoring for these changes for years. Yeah. A lot yeah. of fans have been wanting to get rid of Victor Arvidsson. A lot of fans have been wanting to get rid of Ryan Ellis. There are other players who Predators fans have wanted to get wanted to get rid of over the past couple of years. And now that it's finally happened, there seems to be this, I don't want to say distress, but a, there are there are certain there are certainly some Predators fans, especially those in the comment section of my stories over the past couple of days, <laughs> that have said, great, they're gone, but you know, yeah. this is all David Poyle could get for Ryan Ellis. You know, like how should we feel about the returns? that the Predators received for those two players. So in total, for Victor Arvidsson and Ryan Ellis, the Predators received a 2021 second-round draft pick, a 2022 third-round draft pick, Philip Myers and Cody Glass. Like, how should Predators fans feel, and do they have a right to be upset by the return for those two cornerstone players? I, I, I don't think you have a right to be upset I think you have a right to have questions and be concerned. I think apprehension is totally fine in, in, in as far as an emotion to these two moves. You also can't complain if you're asking David Poyle to shake this team up. And as you pointed out at the beginning of this conversation, this core, whatever you want to call it, has been given year after year after year of first round exits to solve the problem, and it hasn't worked. So almost everybody across the board has to be okay with doing something, right? And so right. David Poyle has done something. Now the question is, and I, this is this, we probably won't know the answer. This is how I look at it. But again, I'm not like sort of, I don't have like my emotional fan hat on right now. I have like my analyst hat on right now. Mm -hmm. And that is, it is all about what you do with those assets in return. If Cody Glass is a third line winger for the rest of his career, and Phil Myers is a third pairing defenseman for the rest of his career, then you didn't get very much in return for Ryan Ellis. If John Hines develops those guys, which we know he's sort of known to do, and they become... You know, let's say let's say Myers is the fourth defenseman on the team, right? He's, he's the, the second pairing, but he plays, you know, 19, 20 minutes a game, which, you know, sort of what he did for Philly. Glass becomes a second line winger. I, I think then you feel a lot better about it. If the second round draft pick turns into another Ellie Tolvanen, you feel great about the trade for Victor Arvidsson, right? Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of this is we're not going to know for a year or two. They are not, you, you cannot do a soft reset or a rebuild or a big rebuild or a small rebuild. You can't do it in one season. You, you can't. And so we are into this now, which people have wanted. So now you're getting what you want, but you've got to sort of then let it happen. And we've got to give it probably, I don't know, two seasons now we're at this point, like to, to try to see what it looks like and, and, and see what it like. Now here, I, I will say this. And I think most people agree. Maybe the one thing everyone agrees on with this that I've talked to about, about this, you got a lot of extra cap space and you're going to have a ton of extra cap space over the next few years. Don't, don't go big game hunting in free agency. Okay. Use it to bring back all your free agents. Use it to re-sign Forsberg and Ekholm, Soros and Fabro and all these guys, right? Like bring back all your dudes, re-sign some of these young players that you think you're going to build around for the future. 
don't don't go out and try to sign the, the the ten million dollar guy. Like, don't go big game hunting with all this cap space. I think that's the one thing everybody agrees with, if, unless yes. you unless you disagree. I mean, I I, I do agree. Uh, don't go catching deers. All right. No, <laughs> I would like to. Ha- I have a mini rant that I would like to go on. All right, I'll try we'll, to. Keep we'll, it- we'll end we'll end the LS conversation with a Adam Vingen rant. When when Victor Arvidsson was traded, the reaction from his teammates was out there. Most notably, Philip Forsberg posting a big thumbs down on an Instagram story. Ryan Johansson had you know a heartfelt Instagram post. Matt Duchesne had a heartfelt Instagram post. Ryan Ellis not very Ryan Ellis not on social media. Um, I haven't seen any Ryan Ellis posts. I'm not reading anything into that. He's also um, not, a, he's not an out there personality either. No. So there's been a lot. And, and, and David Poyle was actually asked about this over the weekend about how the players left in the dressing room might react to the trade of Arvidsson, the trade of Ellis. I mean, they don't really have any say over the retirement of Pecorine either, but I think that's, you, I don't think you can include that in the, in the conversation. Right. I think specifically right. the trades of Victor Arvidsson and Ryan Ellis. And David mentioned that he had talked regularly with Roman Yossi discussing, you know, potential moves and, and, and how they may go over in the dressing room and, and getting Roman's take on things. So there's been a lot of discussion among Predators fans on social media, comment sections, et cetera, about how, and, and, and this also ties into the expansion list too, about how, you know, the other players that are still on the team, the players that were unprotected in the expansion draft, you know, how do they feel about all of this? It should there be concern that there's going to be a mutiny on the predator's hands because Victor Arvidsson was traded and Ryan Ellis was traded and Ryan Johansson was left unprotected and Matt Duchesne was left unprotected and Colton Sissons was unprotected and Callie Yonkroke was unprotected. Should the predators be concerned about how the you know team morale? I mean, yes, there there is some of that in there for sure. These are millionaires getting paid to not this is not this, lose their cool and emotions like a teenager, right. right? This is this is my point. When you're having those conversations, think just keep this in mind. This is the player's fault. That's one thing I go back to. <laughs> I do not have very much sympathy for the players in that dressing room when it comes to all of these changes. If, you know, like as David Poyle said on Saturday, to paraphrase, if I felt that this team was good enough to win the Stanley Cup, I wouldn't be making these trades. Right, right. This is, this, you know. This is the part, this is part of the game, guys. Victor Robertson is gone. Ryan Ellis is gone. Pecorine has retired. Again, a different situation. Victor Robertson wasn't productive enough. Ryan Ellis wasn't healthy enough. Matt Duchesne wasn't productive enough. Ryan Johansson wasn't productive enough. Philip Forsberg hasn't been good enough to lead this team past, you know, the hump that it's it's run into. This is their fault. So if they if they're if they're upset by what's happened in this situation, look yourselves in the mirror. Because if not for the continued failings of this roster to not, you know, to in the postseason, this is their fault. If this team would have competed for a Stanley Cup, if this team would have won a Stanley Cup. This wouldn't have happened. Yeah. This is this is on them. You know, I don't blame David Poyle for the trades he's made. I'm not blaming John Hines. I'm blaming the players. And maybe that and maybe that tells you where, you know, where I, I sit on certain things. But like I don't have any sympathy for these guys. I don't. 
you know, and, and if they're going to, um, you know, pout and moan about their uh, their friends being traded, they have every right to do that. These but are you not don't know what you don't know is happening or not. Right. Technically. But, right. I don't. I, I agree. I agree with you. I the only think- one the only one who's immune is Heinz to me. I, I don't even like this is on David Poyle and on the players. That's how I look at it. Well, there will be people who point to some of the comments Matt Duchesne has made, you know, that aren't, you know, filled with, you know, platitudes for John Hines. And look, I'm not sure where that relationship is. I don't think it's, you know, as, as ironclad as some other guys on the team. But I also also always say in every sport, no coach is universally beloved by every single one of his players. So if there are players in that room, if you were to tell me there are players in that room who legitimately do not like John Hines, I'm not going to say you're, oh, you're lying because, I but I don't care about, I'm talking about the fans blaming someone for this. Like I you're, know. you're talking about, I put the, I put the, the fact that this team didn't win a cup. I, I lay it at the feet of the players. Yes. I, I agree with you on that. And I agree with you on Poyle. I, I would lay it at the feet of Poyle. They've already fired Lavi and they didn't win because of Lavi. So lavi has been fired. So that's whatever. Hines is the only one to me that doesn't factor into this five-year window of quote unquote failing or whatever. You know what I mean? Like the four year window of not getting it done. It's at the feet of the players and at the feet of Poyle. And Heinz to me is the only one who doesn't deserve the criticism from the fans inside the locker room. Dude, we are all grown adults and these people get paid millions of dollars. People have disagreements at offices all the time. You use this analogy on the podcast all the time. People disagree about stuff. Don't get along all the time. Like offices are offices. (laughs) Like, like, you guys are just a bunch of high paid off people that, that play a sport in front of a bunch of people. Like it's not, everyone has a boss. Sometimes they like their boss. Sometimes they don't, you know, like, (laughs) I don't know. I, I, I agree with most of your, uh, your rant though. You didn't get very worked up though, Adam. So no, I just, you know, you know, I've seen a lot of commentary about whether or not, uh, the remaining quote unquote core players, how they're going to react to this and whether or not, you know, they might, you know, take things into. I, no, I'm gonna say. Do, do you want? Do you, do you want a job in the NHL? You're gonna play hard, <laughs> right? I like, don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think, think. I think that's, that's fans. I think that's fans being really Pollyannish about how when look, when professional the, when locker the, rooms work. When the expansion draft list came out, and Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson were left exposed. First of all, nobody was surprised. We've been talking about that for more, like at least six weeks, if not longer. <laughs> right. And right. we've been talking about that. You know, when I put out my projection for expansion, like the first week of June, I protected five defensemen and three forwards. And of those three forwards, none of them were Ryan Johansson and Matthew Shane. Yeah. I don't think anybody. No, the only the only surprise was Tanner Janot, I think, of the entire list. Yes. The it only was, no, that was, was so Tanner Janot you, over over Colton Sissons or Johansson yes. or whoever else you you wanted it to be. I think the only surprise of the names that were protected after the Ellis trade happened, of course, because you had to protect Myers. If you, if you believe in him, you know, the only name on that list that was a surprise to me and, and we'll get to the expansion in just a second, but Tanner Janot is the only one that was even mildly like, Oh, I guess they really believe in his ability to score the goals long-term, you know, like maybe, yeah. maybe the NHL really, really, really likes Tanner Janot in scouting circles. And we don't know that. Right. But my point was when, you know, there were some concern like, oh, how are Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson going to react to this? You know what my response was to them? Play better. Yeah. Like if you make yeah. $8 million a year, yeah. if you actually played to your to the levels expected, you wouldn't have been unprotected. This is their fault. 
Like, I don't have any sympathy for either of them. If they have hurt feelings, go do something about it. Don't, you know, moan or pout if that's what they're going to do. And again, I don't know if they're doing that. I'm sure they're not thrilled about it, but this is their uh, fault. No, this is the same thing as criticizing football coaches or, or even hockey coaches. Like, no, no egos were harmed in the making of this podcast, okay? Like, <laughs> like, like, let's just be honest. You guys get paid $8 million to deal with a little scrutiny, okay? That's just, that's just the way it is. Um, all right, so you've, we've already sort of dabbled here into the expansion list. We've got to get to the Pred strategy and what the new roster will look like in the fall. Of course, we've got the NHL draft coming up this weekend as well, so we still have lots of stuff to get to on the show today. The gold standard, Adam Vingen, is in fact brought to you by Jaspers. You have a, you have a catchy, cheeky, pithy tagline because you've got a lot of those for Jaspers normally. It's still a little bit too early. I haven't finished my second cup of cold brew yet. So let me down that and maybe I can come up with something by the end of the ad read. By the way, lots of good caffeine options at Jasper's, by the way. I, I was I was over there the other day, made me a latte. I was like, oh, all right, this is great. Look, this is the next evolution of the sports bar. You have alcoholic popsicles and like an espresso bar. <laughs> That's I'm very particular about my coffee. First of all, I just started drinking coffee and I'm 32 years old. Welcome. To be specific, I drink cold brew. I do not like hot coffee. Um, Even in the wintertime? No. I'm more of a chai latte guy in the wintertime, which is not coffee. Well, there's no caffeine in that. No, but it's it's tasty and it warms my heart. I agree. I actually love a chai latte. The problem is, is I need it to be dirty chai latte, which is throw a couple shots of espresso in there because I, I can't I need I need the jolt. Ca- caffeine is a miracle drug. Caffeine is a miracle drug for those of us who are aging and getting older. And you'll learn this when you are up at all hours of the night feeding a small baby in a little while. I don't know if you know this or not, but my child is going to sleep through the night uninterrupted. Those snoo things, like the like the <laughs> electronic bassinet that like rocks oh. them. Yeah, uh, we we I could do a whole go, go to Jasper's by the way. Um, go to Jasper's. Well, they'll let you bring your snoo. <laughs> we we had one. We had my brother bought us a really expensive one, and this is a warning for you, Adam. Mm. My brother bought us a really expensive one for our first daughter like five years ago. And it's really swanky. It has like an iPad, you know, hooks up to your iPhone. You can play music through it. It's got all kinds of different gyrations and variations. Our, our kids maybe, maybe laid in it like 20 times. Just, you just never know what's going to, what's going to land on a, on a baby, man. I just, just go into it eyes wide open. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. And go to Jasper's to get your caffeine so that your eyes will be in fact wide open. If it were Scott Stapp, would we go into it with arms wide open? Oh God. We on, I will only allow you to do that if you sing. With arms wide open <laughs> under the sunlight. Actually, I want you to walk into Jasper's like him in that music video. <laughs> just, I don't know if I've ever seen that music video. Just, isn't he in the rain, like spinning around in circles with his arms wide, wide open? Yeah. Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> um, anyway, go to Jasper's. They've got basically everything you could ever need. It's a fantastic place to watch whatever game you're going to be watching this summer. you got soccer matches. The Olympics, uh, perhaps? The Olympics are a great reason to go into Jasper's and watch because it's going to be at all hours of the day, <laughs> like weird times. But the menu's great. They're constantly changing. They're adding some new menu items right now, so they're working on that to try to make that even better for you guys out there. You know, seasonal good restaurants change their menus as the seasons change. And uh, I would love that job, personally, Adam, to be the one that tastes the new menu items and gets to help Deb Paquette, who runs all types of restaurants across Four Top Hospitality from a menu standpoint, 
I would like to be the one that works with her on picking the new menu items. I think that would be a wonderful job. The job of food taster is a little bit different than it was in medieval times, if you'd like to call it that, <laughs> when someone's job was just to make sure that the food wasn't poisoned. I knew your, for some reason, I knew your, your macabre brain was going to go there. <laughs> for some reason, I knew that was going to happen. The entire four top hospitality group of restaurants is, is delicious. Of course, Next door to Jasper's is Amerigo, Italian restaurant um, in Green Hills. There's Char Steakhouse, which I took the family to. My parents were in town over the weekend. Uh, we went to Char, had a delicious meal, had a prime New York strip with a Ooh. loaded potato. Ooh, how do you cook uh, that? How do you cook that, Adam? This uh, is the most important rare. question. Okay, medium rare. Okay, we could still be friends. Okay. Um, I used to be more of a medium guy when I was younger, but I think as I've gotten older, I don't eat a ton of steak, but when I do, it's medium rare. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, uh, medium, but, but look at you. You're, you're, you're maturing and evolving much like Jasper's. You, you're drinking coffee and you're, and you're getting your steak cooked at a better temperature, a more mature temperature, a more evolved temperature, medium rare. And we can still be friends now because of that. Because if, you, if, if you're like Tim Corbin, Vanderbilt baseball coach who cook, cooks his steak like medium well, like, what's the point of buying a nice piece of meat at that point? You Wait, know? Tim Corbin likes medium well steaks? I, I, it's just a waste of a trip to Omaha every two years that he takes. <laughs> Why even go out there, Tim? <laughs> uh, anyway, go to Jasper's or try all the other four top hospitality restaurants, of course, Char, Etch, etc. Uh, Amerigo's been around for 30 years. Again, this is the reason you can go to Jasper's and trust the menu and trust Deb Paquette because this is a company that's been in Nashville for over 30 years and has been doing it in his trusted name and all those good things. Constantly evolving to make the experience better for you. So go to Jasper's. You can get your caffeine. You can get your red meat if you want. Go check out the other restaurants as well. So there you have it. Gold Standard brought to you by Jasper's. So let's officially get to the expansion conversation here, Adam, after all that Ellis and, and Cody Glass and Philip Myers talk uh, and mutiny, of course, had to talk a little bit about the, the, the so-called mutiny that's taking place in the locker room. Um, so they, they decided to protect five defensemen, which we predicted on this show um, of not the exact names we expected, of course. But um, when you look at the list, Dante Fabro, Alex Carrier, Matias Ekholm, Roman Yossi and Philip Myers, newly acquired. Um, and then, of course, they also protected three forwards, Philip Forsberg, Luke Cunning, to be expected. And as we mentioned, Tanner Janot was also protected uh, instead of a few other names. Colton Sissons, Ryan Johansson, Matt Duchesne, and of course, uh, Callie Yarncroak, who is the selection, who is going to Seattle. He has one year left on his contract. Uh, very valuable on the penalty kill, valuable if you need a little extra juice and lose a player on the on the power play, can play up and down the lineup, You know, can score a little bit, 200-plus points in his career over seven seasons. So number one, before we get into what losing Cal Yarncroft does for this team, what did you make of the strategy of David Poyle, who they protected, why they protected those names? Um, you've already talked a lot about, you know, the dynamics in the locker room or whatever we think might be happening there. Um, but just, just what do you make of the strategy of, of who they chose to protect? Well, I think we all figured that they were going to protect eight, excuse me, five defensemen, eight skaters, five of whom our defensemen. It, it just made too much sense. And anytime we discussed it, um, whether with each other or with other people, the first question I always asked 
was, can you name more than three forwards on this roster that are worthy of being protected? <laughs> and the answer was always no. So that's when you knew they were going to go with five defensemen. Now, if you simply swap out Ryan Ellis for Philippe Myers, I got seven of eight correct in my projection from early June. Uh, but now with Myers in the fold. I, I think he, that counts. I think he counts as getting it, getting it correct because you don't okay. make the trade. Right. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't make the trade unless you obviously realize you're going to protect him. So. Right. So I got seven of eight and the one I got wrong, I think everybody got wrong. And that was Tanner Janot. And when that first came out on Sunday, a lot of us were scratching our heads as to why the Predators felt the need to protect Tanner Janot. The Predators love Tanner Janot. And I know he only played 15 NHL games during the regular season, but he made a big impression on the Predators coaching staff in those 15 games. And he had a great start to the season in the American League as well. You know, I recall a conversation that I had early in the season when things weren't going well. This was before Tanner Janot made his NHL debut. I was talking with Ryan Worsowski, who is the head coach of the Chicago Wolves. And as we all know, the Predators shared the Chicago Wolves with the Carolina Hurricanes this past AHL season because the Milwaukee Admirals didn't play. And we were talking about the usual suspects. We talked about Philip Tomasino. We talked about Rem Pitlick. We talked about Jeremy Davies. And then at the end of the conversation, I asked Ryan, if there's one prospect from the Predators that I have not asked you about that you think we need to discuss, who would it be? And he immediately said, Tanner Janot. And there was one thing that he said that really stood out to me. He told me that if it were up to him and he could have named a captain for that for that, for that Chicago Wolves team, he would have made Tanner Janot the captain. So clearly, even someone who's outside of the organization uh, thinks highly of Tanner Janot. Yeah. The, the way Carl Taylor, if you go back and listen to the episode, if you want to learn more about these guys, uh, go back and listen to the episode where I had a conversation with Carl Taylor, the head coach of the Milwaukee Admirals. And basically he said he's an undrafted player. And basically the way he described him is not only does he knock down every wall we've ever put in front of him, but he blows right through it. And I don't know about you, but he's very similar to the other guys, Yakov Trenin, Matthew Olivier, but I think he has more goal scoring upside. And that's probably why you look at having to protect him, right? Because there is some actual goal scoring upside for him, right? I mean, isn't that the reason? I mean, I would have probably protected Colton Sissons. Like, do you think someone, do you think Seattle's taking Tanner Janot over Callie Arncroke? The one, yeah. I mean, the one thing I keep wondering about at this point, it's just a theory. It's not based on any reporting, but I, I wonder if the Seattle Kraken put it, what you know, put it out there in, in the, in the world, because GMs, you know, they always talk to each other. They play games of telephone and whatnot, right, just right. like the rest of us. What if Ron Francis basically bluffed and was telling everybody else, man, we really love this Tanner Janot kid from Nashville. If he's left unprotected, which I think he's going to be, we're going to scoop him up immediately. But they were maybe they were bluffing the entire time. And the Predators weren't able to detect whether or not they were bluffing. So they protected Tanner Janot out of an abundance of caution, leaving one of Kelly Yarncroke or Colton Sissons available to them, one, but one of whom they really wanted. Am I, I, think, am I? Is that outlandish? No, not at all. I think gamesmanship is a is absolutely part of any business that is high level, right? And and being an NHL GM is a high level game with lots of money at stake. 
Uh, here's the thing that I don't understand. People complaining about not protecting Johansson or Duchesne. Obviously, that didn't need to happen. They weren't going to get taken. They didn't get taken, and therefore not protecting them was the right thing. Uh, I don't care about feelings. Th- these are grown-ass adult men, as we've already said. This is part of the job. Um, I am curious. The question I have for you about this, to turn it around, is are the Nashville Predators better in 2021 and 2022 with Callie Yarncroke or with Tanner Janot? And I think David Poyle has to answer. Only David Poyle knows the answer to that question of where he thinks they should be. And if he thinks that Tanner Janot is a better piece of their puzzle moving forward and they can find a replacement for what Callie Yarncroke does, then that's all That's all he needs to consider, frankly, right? I mean, I, I don't know. I think they're probably better with Callie Yarncroke than Tanner Janot. But who am I to say? How, how do I, you know, I, who knows what the scouting reports are on, as we said already on the show about Tanner Janot? To answer your previous question, Janot had 10 goals and 21 points in 13 AHL games th- this past season with the Chicago Wolves. So he got off to a fabulous start. And the one stat I always like to throw out there is that Tanner Janot scored one fewer goal than Matthew Shane <laughs> in 19 fewer games this season. Um, so think about that. <laughs> but when I think about you know where the Predators are headed, as David Poyle called it the other day, a competitive rebuild, which we don't really know what that means, yeah, but we're just going to give him the benefit of the doubt here. It's a soft, no, it's a soft reset. As I, as I coined the soft. And yeah. Reset. You, it's, it's our phrase. Let's stick with our phrase because our okay. phrase, it might I mean, actually be with the soft reset. It might actually be a medium reset. It might be a little harder than a soft reset, actually Perhaps. A, little, a little firmer, even Perhaps a medium reset, <laughs> like on our sleep number bed. Right, um, right. No, free, no free shouts, no free shouts, but I don't have a sleep number bed, by the way. <laughs> I don't think I know anyone who does. But but when you think about what Tanner Janot embodies, when you think about the kind of player he is, first of all, he's a young player. He's 24 years old. He hits like a Mack truck. He's got a ton of energy. He's incredibly competitive. He's big. He's six foot two, 200 plus pounds. And when you think about what the Predators are trying to be or trying to become, whether or not you agree with that, Tanner Janot fits that mold. You're he saying a th- you're saying a 30 year old five foot eleven, 180 pounder is not the same thing. Well, Callie Yarncroke, you know, is a is a smaller, older player. And when we were having these conversations last month, and I put together my my list, my projection, you know, I talked about if Callie Yarncroke would be the 2021 James Neal, in that in 2017. The Predators protected Yarncroke over Neil because Yarncroke had five years left on his contract at the time and Neil had one. And I thought, okay, well, Sissons, I believe, now has five years left on his contract and Yarncroke has one. So I thought it would be Sissons. So they're getting bigger and they're getting younger. And, and, so, well, it's, but, all, and it's about trajectory of the players, right? Like Kelly Yarncroke, I don't think people realize over 500 games. <laughs> And seven over seven plus seasons in an, in a Nashville Predator sweater. Actually, one of the better trades David Poyle's ever made. Frankly, to those who need to be reminded of that trade in March of 2014, the Predators traded David Legwand to the Detroit Red Wings at the trade deadline for Patrick Eves, who barely remained in Nashville, and Callie Yarncroke, who was a 22 year old prospect at the time, and they got 500 plus games out of him. Yeah, five, 508 games, 94 goals, 117 assists, 211 points. 
and can kind of do all of the things. He can play on every line. 30 point seasons. Yeah. And, and, and again, I think his per, four, point, excuse me, four 30 point seasons and his per, per game production sort of has gone up as it, as it, as it has. But again, he's 30 years old and you look at Ryan Ellis and, and we've already talked at nauseum about Ellis and, and Arvidsson, but they are, if, if you were looking at their trajectory, they are not on an upward trajectory path. And I think Callie Arncrook, you could argue is, is in a, he could be close. I think he's probably trending a little bit more upwardly, if that's the right word, because of, of how he's developed. But he, do you think they're going to re-sign him? I don't think they're going to re-sign Callie Arncroak. I, I don't think. I, I think it's a possibility. Yeah. Um, okay. Especially with all the cap space they have now. <laughs> now, yeah, now they do. Um, but but then you also have to factor like Callie Arncroak took you know a significant discount. I think a lot of people would say when he signed that six-year, twelve million dollar contract. Callie Yarncroke isn't a player who's going to cost you six, $7 million, but he might cost you four. He might cost you four and a half and you might not be wanting to commit to that. You know, I, I, I agree. If it's, if it's that, if that's the price range we're talking about, then I think to your point about it being a business decision, then it was the right move. Because again, like the idea was to get them to take Matt Duchesne or whatever. And we'll get to this in a second with what they have coming back. But again, I, I don't know. It, it's an interesting conversation. I, I think I don't think it was unexpected. I think people who are surprised and shocked at all of the stuff that we've talked about today, the Ryan Ellis trade, Victor Arvidsson, Pecorino retiring, all the stuff we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Like, I just don't think anyone should be surprised by much of any of it, because if you listen to the show, you've heard almost all of this discussed. We, we thought it was going to be either Yarn Crook or, Sis, or Sissons going to Seattle for the better part of two months. So um, I don't think anybody should be surprised by any of this stuff. Um, here, here, let me, can I play the, uh, put on the Homer hat for a second and just see what you think of it real quickly. Okay. Go for it. Matt Duchesne plays on the top line with Philip Forsberg and Ryan Johansson. You have all of this money now to re-sign Matias Ekholm, all your restricted free agents, Saros, Fabro, Tolvanen, etc. Forsberg, whatever. You, you get all these players back. You've gotten younger. You've gotten bigger. You've gotten more physical. They're all John Hines players. Could this quote unquote soft reset happen faster? Then we think because from a skill standpoint, Duchesne, Johansson, and Forsberg are still probably your three most talented forwards, and they are all coming back and could play on the top line. Is that is that is that the way you spin this if you're being a homer? I think when you look at this team as is, okay, let's so you mentioned re-signing Ekholm, but he was under contract next season anyway. Did you mention Granland? Uh, bring yeah, Granland needs to be included. He's the so Granland, so Granland's yeah. coming back. And you've got Cody Glass, you've got Philippe Myers, you have all of the younger players. Yep. Yep. On paper, without knowing what the lineup is actually going to look like, to me, that's a bubble team, just as they were last year. You know, could I, I think their ceiling is probably like a first wild card spot. <laughs> so you would call it a competitive rebuild? <laughs> I would call it a competitive rebuild. Oh God. Here's the question. Are they a better if Granlin is back, let's assume Granlin is back. Are they a better hockey team today as we do this podcast than they were last month? I, I don't think they're a better hockey team today than they were a month ago. I think no, they've set not. themselves I up mean, to be better two years from now, but I don't think they're better today. No, they're not because you know you're you're losing proven commodities in Victor Arvidsson and Ryan Ellis, and although both players have been declining and are getting older at least you know what you can expect from them. Philippe Myers has played three seasons in the NHL and he's been fine. His second year was his best year. You know, Cody Glass ha has not had the, the easiest go of things so far. You're hoping, there's a lot of hope involved yep. in this season. Yep. Yep. You're hoping yep. Glass, Myers, Tolvanen, 
Carrier, Tomasino, Abrego, Tomasino yep. can all take the next step. Con- there's a lot Cunning. of Cunning, yep. uh, Davies, Ferentz. Yep. Like there's a lot of, you know, Trennan, Janot, Olivier. There, there is a lot of hoping that these guys can play better than they have been. And a lot of hoping that Philip Forsberg and Ryan Johansson and Matthew Shane can, can play better. There's a lot of hope. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so again, I think if you're spinning this as a Homer with all that hope, you're, you're probably putting Johansson, Duchesne and, and Forsberg on the top line. You're, you're hoping Mikhail Granlin comes back with Luke Cunning and probably Ellie Tolvin in right. Philip Tomasino is, is charging hard to get into that top six. You have your third line back completely intact, right? Yes. That was, that was very good last year. And you, you fill out the bottom line. You still have Soros. You still have Ekholm and, and, and Yossi with Carrier and Fabro. I, like, I'm with you. I think they're a bubble team. I think fans need to be prepared to not be as good. But I do think that if your goal is to get younger, to find bigger, stronger, more physical two-way players, I think they've done that. They've shed some salary cap. Like, it's all – maybe I'm being – you know, maybe this is just the super optimistic way to look at it. But I, I agree. If you are hopeful and trying to put hope in all of the, all of these different places, that's how you do let's, it. Let's do something very quickly. I'm just going to – you do this with me sometimes. So we'll play a little bit of lightning round, okay? All right. All right. I'm going to name you the teams in the Central Division next season, and you tell me if the Predators are better or worse oh, than the teams. God, okay. And I'll, I'll, I'll also play. We'll do it in alphabetical order. Arizona Coyotes. Better. Are the Predators better or worse? Better. Better, for sure. Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, better. This one's tough. Not clear, but better. I would say slightly better. Yeah, yeah. Slightly better. Okay. I think Colorado Avalanche. Nope. Worse. Nope. worse. Nope. Dallas Stars. I don't think so. Not not if they're fully healthy. I would say no. I would say worse than Dallas. Yep, I agree. Minnesota. Who Minnesota's worse. trending? Minnesota's trending in the right direction. So worse. Uh, St. Louis. Probably worse. I'm gonna say better. Okay. All right. That's I think a, better than St. Louis. Okay. Winnipeg. <laughs> uh, worse. I'm gonna say better there too. I think I think Winnipeg could be in for a big shakeup. Well, year. Winnipeg. Well, see. Mm, the only thing that the thing that gives me pause about Winnipeg, there's a couple things that give me pause about Winnipeg. You know, Connor Hallibuck has saved their bacon two years in a row. That's what I just I just mean. Um, there's a lot there there. But they still team. have Mark Shifley and they still have Blake Wheelers and yeah, Nick Wheelers. They're like the that opposite. They're like the opposite of the Preds. <laughs> so so on the quiz. So so just based on this, on, like unequivocally, like the only like I feel like the only team that we said was clearly worse was Arizona. Yeah. And then I, and I think we both agree that they're better than Chicago. We believe they were definitely worse than Colorado, definitely worse than Minnesota, you know, probably worse than Dallas. And we were split on St. Louis and Winnipeg. Yeah. I would, I would, I would say that it's, you know, in all these predictions that, you know, who knows, like the Florida Panthers totally blew, blew that out of the water last year for us in this division. But I would say it's like, you're looking at Winnipeg, Nashville, Dallas, and St. Louis for probably two or three spots. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think we got, we got a long time to discuss this though. So we don't know, but we're already on the conversation. So at this point, I think if you, I think you can say that. So I think you can say Arizona and Chicago were probably seven and eight or eight or, you know, whichever order you want. I would say Colorado and Minnesota are probably one and two. So that leaves Dallas, Minnesota, Nashville, and St. Louis for two spots. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a battle again. I don't think they're better. So um, I, I think fans need to realize this is a two-year process, if not three. And let's see what happens this week in the draft. By the way, oh, by the way, the draft's coming up. We're at the end of the show here. And we haven't even talked about the draft. The draft is coming up this weekend. They've got 
what three of the top 50 picks. So they're going to have some opportunity to add some more talent to the, to the farm system and get Carl Taylor, some more dudes to work with, which is great. And so uh, we'll have some reaction to that next week as well. So um, all right. So real quickly here, let's wrap up on a really high note, a really nice note. I, I am hopeful and I'm excited about this at some point people's, Sexual preferences will no longer be stories. <laughs> at, at some point in this country, we will reach a stage where we just don't care what someone does in in their bedroom. Um, thank God that that's coming soon. But we do have to give... I, Luke Prokop came out. He made a statement. I give him a ton of credit for his courage to sort of do what he's doing. I am actually more pleased with the response than I expected. Um, the amount of outpouring of, of support for him and for his decision to 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 come out, I think is, I don't know, I think it's great. And again, the goal is for one day for all of these types of things to not matter to anybody. <laughs> like that's, to me, that's my message to folks is congratulations to him. I'm happy for him. I'm happy that the organization and the fans supported him as much as they did. There, there's obviously a few Twitter eggs that have some terrible things to say, but I don't give a shit about them. So who cares? Um, it's 2021 and at some point we will stop caring about what people do in their bedrooms. How about that? Yeah, you would hope so. Um, it was a a great thing to see, um, as we discussed previously, uh, the first active NHL player under contract to come out as gay, uh, our Pierre Lebrun at the athletic did the definitive story. In my opinion, at least it had been in the works for several weeks, uh, that came out in conjunction with Luke's announcement. It's unlocked. So even non-subscribers to The Athletic, which you should be a subscriber, but if you're not, you can read this story for free. It's an excellent story. Pierre does a great job, you know, wonderful anecdotes, great behind the scenes look at ha- about how Luke came to the decision to come out, how the Predators reacted to the decision, how Luke reacted to the Predators reaction. <laughs> it's it's all it's all really good. I, you know, if you have some time to sit down and you haven't read it yet, you absolutely should. But yes, it's it's great, and and here's the one thing I'm hoping for, because the Predators have been tremendous allies in this in this situation. The one thing that I'm hopeful for from other people is understanding about you know Luke's career, and if Luke plays his ass off and earns a spot one day on the Nashville Predators, he will have absolutely earned it. It will not be because he's gay. And the Predators feel an obligation that they have a gay player and they need him to play. I, I, um, I would, you know I what I'm argue, saying? Uh, no, I would argue that the inherent, and I know this is a little too deep for some people, I would argue that the inherent misogyny baked into professional athletics might actually make it more difficult for him to get to the top. Not not any one person in the Preds organization, uh, but like if you read about you know baseball player in the 70s who was the first quote-unquote openly gay baseball player in major league baseball once he came out he never got another major league contract now that was 50 years ago but i'd like to think that to your point he he will earn it and um not every single human being is going to be okay with him you know what i mean like and that sucks that we're not there yet well what i was trying to say is that sorry um no i no i no i agree with you what i'm trying to say is that hopefully p if, if luke prokop does not earn an opportunity to make it to the NHL that people don't accuse the predators of holding him down because he's gay, but there are going to be people who think that way. Yeah. And I'm just saying, try not to. I I agree with that. I agree with that. Also try not to treat him any differently because of what he, (laughs) because of who he is. How about that? Exactly. (laughs) Uh, So congratulations to him. I'm glad that I, I, I really am 
proud of the Predators and Nashville and the community and the fans to of how they've responded. I I I was very very proud of the response. I, I, that that's what I would say. Um, personal, oh yeah, a, I think it's great. I think it's great on a personal level. All right. Uh, that just about does it after all that conversation about all this stuff. Uh, we've got an NHL draft coming up this weekend. So we'll, we'll be back next week to, to take a look at a couple of new prospects and um, have more conversations about expansion drafts. Is that okay with you? Just more expansion no, talk. We're never allowed to talk about expansion drafts again. We, we may never have to ever again in the history of the sport. We'll see. Um, obviously, Adam Vingan, you can follow him on Twitter at Adam Vingan. Go to The Athletic, pay for good journalism. Go read the story about Luke Prokop as well uh, from Pierre Lebrun. Great stuff there. Uh, in, enjoy your, your weekend. And, of course, Adam Vingan, the gold standard is brought to you by... Jaspers. Anything else? Just Jaspers? Um, Jaspers. Uh, <laughs> what's for dinner? Go to Jasper's. The parking is free. The happy hour is great. The food is amazing. The cold frozen beverages are spectacular. Uh, and it's just, a, it's a great neighborhood hang, man. Go check it out. The next evolution of the sports bar, Jasper's. Thank you Did so you much. Did you say a, a good neighborhood hangman? Yeah, it's a great neighborhood hang, comma, man. Oh. oh, I thought you said it's a great neighborhood hangman. Like the game, That's hangman. Weird. Remember hangman? Why, why does your brain go to the places it goes sometimes? Is that acceptable these days? the game hangman or, no or, would we, or would we get canceled for playing hangman first of all on this particular network you cannot get canceled for anything but um don't push your luck i'm in charge i can i can do whatever i want um so uh, we are not too, we are not too sensitive we would play hangman if somebody else is offended by that sorry i don't know maybe hangman it's was not, a great game maybe it's not maybe, I, I think it's fine who knows uh, anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks to Jaspers for supporting us and making this podcast happen. Thanks to Adam Bingen. My name is Braden Gall. Thank you all for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe. This has been the Gold Standard on the 440 Sports Network.